Amen. Amen. We turn over to the Epistle of Paul to Titus again, and we're reading from the second chapter of Titus. We read from verse 1 of Titus chapter 2 again. The Epistle of Paul to Titus chapter 2 and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviours becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Now we've been looking at what Paul has been saying to Timothy there. Timothy has gone to the church in Crete. Uh, Crete was a very strategic, and is a very strategic island out there in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul was anxious that uh, Titus should set in order the things concerning the church in Crete. And we have said that the uh, key verse is uh, chapter 1, verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. And then he goes on to speak about how uh, Titus is to set things in order. First of all, there is to be the appointing of elders, and he speaks about the qualifications of elders. But then he goes on to speak about uh, what we might call the ordinary people in the congregation, and about how they should order themselves. And he goes down here, the older men, then the older women, the young women, and then the young men. And we're going to think about what he says to the young men tonight. But the uh, overall arching thought of the whole, of all of what he's saying to all of the different age groups and to the different 
uh, sexes there is the matter of godliness. And we have said that what is said to any other age group uh, is applicable to every one of the age groups. But he's here wanting the people of God to have that godliness about them, not just an outward piety, but a godliness in their heart, a godliness that is evident, a godliness that can be seen. And Paul here, or Paul is urging Timothy to set in order those that are in Crete and the Cretan Christians, the Cretan Christians, and that they be dramatically transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he speaks about, to the young men about godliness. And I want you to notice that godliness is the characteristic that Paul wants to see first and foremost in the young men. Now, that's not the thought of modern Christianity in many places. What the modern church wants in their young men is relevance. And by relevance, they mean that they should have a conformity with the world. And the church has done all sorts of things in order to look like the world, in order to attract the world. Now, where they get that idea that if you look like the world, you'll attract the world, they certainly don't get it in the Bible. But we have many uh, today, and uh, you have churches that look like pubs, and churches that look like nightclubs, and churches that look like uh, concerts, and we have all sorts of things. There is uh, something called the Christian Dance Fellowship of Ireland, so they use dance in order. Uh, there was a Christian rock concert there in Ballymena a few months ago, hosted by a man by the name of Mark Ritchie, who is called a, 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 an evangelist and a comedian. And the way that he seeks to present the gospel is by really what is a comedy routine. So the church has gone through all sorts of things to attract the world and to be like the world. But the thing that Titus is to preach to the Cretans here is not worldliness. He's not wanting them to look like the world, but he wants them to be godly. He wants them to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what John said in his epistle, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For he that is in the world, uh, that, uh, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the Bible doesn't urge worldliness. The Bible urges godliness. Now, what is the godliness that he urges for young men here? I want us just to see what he says in this portion of Scripture. At first glance, you might think that the young men get off very lightly because there's only really one verse that speaks to young men. Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And then he goes on really to speak to T Titus himself. But Titus was a young man. Uh, you say, what's a young man? Well, if you're below the age of 60, um, uh, for young women as well, if you're below the age of 60, you're a young man or a young woman as far as this portion of Scripture is concerned. You can enjoy that tonight uh, if that's the case. But he, the, the, the young men here, they are to be those who are 
godly in the sight of a holy God. And I want us just to see the things that Paul urges here of the young men. And first of all, I want you to see the godliness exhorted. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Now, notice that they are likewise. We notice that about uh, the young women as well, the young men likewise. So this is uh, no exception. The young men are not an exception here. They're like the uh, older men and the women uh, here. They are likewise to be sober. And I want you to notice the strength of the exhortation here. The word exhort there translates um, an imperative term. It's a command, it's an exhortation, but it's a little bit stronger than the word exhort. The word in the Greek there has the thought of uh, calling the young, or being alongside the young men in order to help them, in in order to instruct them. And what he's here doing is, he is, as it were, drawing alongside the young men in order to direct them, in order to help them. There's a strength about what he's saying here, and he's really calling out the young men and saying, I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to be sensible here. And I want you to see not only the strength of the exhortation, but look at the substance of the exhortation. It's to be sober-minded. And the word that is translated sober there is one that has been used in Paul's letter a number of times. You think about how the um, elder is to be sober Uh, If you look at chapter 2, verse 2, the older men are to be sober. And then if you look at verse 4, the young women are to be sober. And the older women are to speak sense to the younger women that they be sober. And if you look at uh, verse 5 again, it speaks of how uh, the young women there are to be discreet. And again, that's the thought of this soberness. But what is this soberness? What does it mean? Well, we think of how the child of God is to have that sensibleness about them. doesn't mean that they don't have a sense of humor. But they're not going to act like clowns. They're not going to bark like dogs. They're not going to go about as if they're drunk that you get in some of the charismatic churches. The uh, The word described the demoniac, after the Lord Jesus healed him. You remember how it says, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil that had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And that's the word, in his right mind. We are to have that right-mindedness, that sensibility. It has the thought of being self-disciplined. It has the thought of being sound in judgment the thought of moderation. That's the thought here in this portion of Scripture. C.H. Spurgeon said, young men are full of spirits and they're very sanguine. They're apt to be carried about with novelties. And so he says, what they need is that sensibility, that sense of self-control, that thought of being prudent, of being thoughtful. That's what he is speaking about here. 
It's the opposite of immaturity. You see, that's the uh, thing about young people. They are immature. And that immaturity has its own problems. It can cause all sorts of problems. Uh, Somebody said that's too bad that youth is wasted on the young. And uh, I suppose that's the way that it is. But, dear friend, we need that sense. Not, not, Not flying off into extremes, not uh, going uh, on on a solar run, as it were. We need to have that sense of sticking by the Word of God, of standing upon what God has to say. Maybe there are times when we wondered what what David uh, meant when he he prayed, remember not the sins of of my youth. But as we've got older, I think we do know what he meant, that youth can do many foolish things. So we need, by God's grace, to have that sense. We think of youth, and youth is a time that presents more opportunity to sin. Youth is a time of lust, and there's many a man on this day of bed who has uh, had to confess that Some of the sins of the youth have carried on. Sometimes the things we get into in youth are the things that continue on into old age. Uh, Youth is a time when pride is controlling. So we need the Holy Spirit of God to have that sense in us. We need to have that uh, godliness, that uh, sense of going by what the Word of God has to say to us. And the future of the church, of course, is in many ways dependent on the young. They're they're growing up in dangerous times. We're in times of change when the instructions of God are laid aside. And we need young people who are going to be able to grow in faith and in the knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, young men here likewise exhort to be sober-minded, to get uh, control of yourself. But not only do I want you to see the substance of the exhortation, but look at the, think about the sense of the exhortation. Why is Paul exhorting the young men to be sensible, to be sober? Well, it's because he wants, he's not trying to go against their liberty. He's not trying to undermine their liberty, but he knows that happiness and true joy and satisfaction is to be found in following the Lord and in seeking to do what the Lord would have us to do. He's not intent on destroying the joy of the young people, but what he is wanting to do is to increase their joy. And there is a sense in sensibility There is a sense in walking with God. But also look at the schedule of the exhortation. It is um, a present imperative. And uh, what I always say to the Greek class is the present imperative is a tense that is continuous. He not only means uh, here that the young men are to be sober-minded, but they're to continue to be sober-minded. It's not just a one-off. It's not just something, well, I'm sensible today. No, this is something 
that we continue in. It is a, a matter of habit. It's a matter of what we are and what we do day by day. So we see here something of the godliness exhorted. But then I want you to see the godliness exemplified because it's not enough to have the exhortation, but they need, it needs to be put into practice in our lives. If uh, we're out preaching this godliness and it's not true of us, then what we are is hypocrites. And of course, hypocrisy is not something that is exhorted in the Word of God. But look at what it says here in this portion of Scripture. Notice the extent of the example. He says in verse 7, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. He wants Titus here and the young men to be patterns. He wants them to be examples. It's not just that uh, they are sober-minded, uh, but also being sober-minded, they're going to be examples to others that are around them. But look at the extent of it. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In his life, in his leisure, in his work, in his home life, in his worship, in all parts of his life, he is to be a pattern to other young men and other people. And, of course, that's a very onerous exhortation. Now, can we say that in all things we are an example? Are you, in all things, in all parts of your life, an example? We know that we feel. We know that we can, at times, uh, 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 backslide. At times, we are not the example that we should be. There are many times when we're lazy. There are many times when we're not an example at all. And there are many times when the zeal of our hearts grows dim. And there are even times when we, uh, as it were, leave aside the Lord and walk in our own paths and do our own things. Now, the Lord has said here to these young men that they uh, be sober-minded. And the only way that we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only in the power of God and the Holy Spirit that we can in any way approximate to this sober-mindedness. But the wonderful thing is that God has given us the Holy Spirit in order to help us, to draw alongside us. He's the comforter, and he's the one who enables us to be the pattern and the example that we used to be. The word pattern there, um, uh, the word pattern there in the portion of Scripture speaks of an imprint. Days gone by when uh, the loggers used to float, the lumbermen used to cut down the trees and float them down the rivers to the sawmills. Before they would uh, send the logs down the river, they would take uh, a large hammer and they would strike the logo of the logging camp on the woods so that they would not get mixed up in any way. And that's the, this is the word for pattern, this imprint. And we need the imprint of God upon us. We need to be a pattern of uh, godliness to those that are around about us. We see the extent of the example. In all things, in all of our lives, we are to be a pattern of good things. But not only do I want you to see the extent of the example, but look at the essence of the example. 
Look at what we are to do. We are to show ourselves uh, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. What is the pattern? It's a pattern of good works. And we need to remember we're not saved by good works and we're not kept by good works. But when we are saved by the grace of God, we are transformed by that grace. And then we labor for God. We become the servants of God and we serve God day by day. We are not in any way saved by good works. But when we are saved, the Bible speaks of how that by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he goes on, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath prepared uh, for us. And we think of how God has ordained that we as his people do good works. What are good works? Well, they're the opposite for, of bad works, bad actions. Those things that we do day by day, those sins that we enter into. And how often it is that we get down into the place of sin and into the place of iniquity. We think of our uh, desires, we think of our motivations that we have, and we think of how often we get down into the very depths of sin. But here we are to be those that do good works in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. And we are to be an example then in good works. Then we are to be an example in doctrine. He says there, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. And he says there uh, in verse 7, a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing, thy, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. We are to be an example in doctrine. And there are many Christians in this day who despise doctrine. And there are many Christians who say to, them, say, say to others, well, I am not, uh, I'm just an ordinary Christian. I'm not interested in doctrine. But dear friend, the, you cannot in any way, if you're saved, surely you would need to know or want to know who it is that saves you and how it is that they save you. And as soon as you ask those questions, you're into doctrine. And we need sound doctrine today. There are so many who are being carried about by every wind of doctrine, carried about by all of the false messages of this day and generation. Paul is looking here for a trustworthy message. He wants Titus to go in there with the sound doctrine, the trustworthy message. What is that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostolic gospel. That's what we need to be preaching. We need to be an example in doctrine. Are we those that know why, why it is that we stand for what we do stand for? Do we know why it is that the Bible teaches on this thing or that thing or what it is that the Bible says about this and that? I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones on the phone when I was out for a walk the other day, and he was speaking about many today who spurn doctrine. And he said, at the end of the day, if you're saved, you ought to have an interest in what the Bible has to say. And it's the doctrines, it's the teaching of the Bible. 
that we're interested in. And so we need to be a pattern in doctrine. We need to know what the Bible has to say. And then we need to be an example of integrity and dignity. Look again at what the text says. In uh, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness. And that word uncorruptness there has a root that just speaks uh, a root uh, word. It comes from a root word in the language that speaks of ruin. You would uh, use that word to speak of the destruction of a building, to destroy it or ruin it. It would also have the connotation of financial ruin. And so he speaks here of these people having doctrine with uncorruptness. In other words, uncorrupted teaching. Teaching that is full and true. Teaching that is from the very source, not something that will destroy, but something that will build up and something that will bless. Then he uses the word gravity. And it's the same term that he uses for the older men in verse 2. It speaks again of sobriety or seriousness. He's he's not going to act in a silly uh, kind of childish fashion. He's not one who spends his time chasing after fleshly desire. He is grave. And then he's sincere. He uses the word sincerity. And that's a word that speaks of without moral taint. And we are to be those who follow the Lord in all godliness, in all that we do. We are to be an example in integrity and dignity. And then we are to be an example in speech. Look at verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Wholesome doctrine. Here is the sincere milk of the word, not uh, the enticing words of man's wisdom, but that which is from the very uh, throne of God himself, from heaven itself. And you think of how we are to be like that. Do you remember Apostle Paul when he was speaking to Agrippa? And uh, when he was uh, speaking to Agrippa about the gospel, remember Festus said to Paul, Must much learning doth make thee mad. And he thought that Paul had lost his uh, senses uh, in the preaching of the gospel and the resurrection. And Paul said this, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and soberness. It's a sad day when the person in the pulpit is not able to claim what Paul did, that he speaks the words of truth and soberness. And that's what Paul is exhorting here for the young men. But something else I want you to see, not only is godliness exhorted, and not only is godliness exemplified here, but I want you to see godliness employed. What is godliness employed for? Well, he says that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So, what is the desire for godliness? It is that the opponent, those who are against the gospel, may have nothing to say, but may be ashamed. Now, why 
would we want that? Why would Paul want the enemies to be ashamed? Well, we think of how our enemies come in this day and generation, and they're trying to face or trying to change the face of evangelism. Now, Paul is saying here that uh, he uh, does not want, uh, he, the, 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 he, he's, he's saying here that they may have no evil thing to say of you and that they may be ashamed. Now, what does he mean by that? Because there are those in this day and generation who say, well, we need to be conformed to the world and we need to, uh, we need to ditch many doctrines because they don't attract the world. And the world is saying evil things about us. And they, they are annoyed because we preach about sin or we preach about judgment or we say that they're sinners in the sight of a holy God. Does this mean that we should make sure that the world has no evil thing to say about us? Well, you know that that's not what Paul is saying here. You know that there are many times when Paul went in and boldly preached the gospel and uh, there were many that had evil to say about Paul. There were many that were going to take him and put him to death. There were many who uh, took him and threw him into prison because of what he said. This, when he says that no evil thing, uh, that, that the enemies may have no evil, evil thing to say about you, what Paul meant by that is that, uh, they, the, that they should not do anything that was going to be hypocritical that was going to draw the attention of the world. It wasn't that they were not going to do anything at all to annoy the world. It was that if there was sin there that was going to show hypocrisy, that was going to annoy the world. That's what he means by this portion of Scripture. Now, the relationship between the church and the culture is complex. But, dear friend, I want you to see that what Paul wants, above all other things, is godliness. Uh, he speaks there, we, we're not to annoy the world uh, just out of a sense of annoying them. But what he wants to do is to make the world ashamed. And how do we make the world ashamed? By standing up for what's right. And why do we make the world ashamed? So that they might reflect upon themselves and ask themselves, why they are not like us, why we are different, so that we might, as it were, display the uh, gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so that we might be a pattern, as he says, in all things. But the desire is that we may be godly, that we might have that godliness about us, a godliness in all things. Oh, may we have lives this evening that display the Lord Jesus Christ, lives of godliness and lives of righteousness in his sight. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace and prayer. And let's please especially remember the drive-in mission coming up very shortly now. We've only a few weeks to go before it takes place. And maybe we could pray for the practical things such as the drying of the field and for all of the uh, getting of things together, 
all of the arrangements and everything will be successful. And pray most of all that God will draw many precious souls under the sound of the Word of God and God may uh, work in this community uh, to the conviction of the lost and the recognition amongst many that they're sinners in the sight of a holy God and there's a God before whom they must stand one day in judgment. Remember the sick as well and bring them to the Lord at the throne of grace in prayer. And as the Lord leads tonight, let's just seek the face of the Lord in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for Thy precious word tonight. We think of the godliness that uh, Paul desired amongst the young men, and we recognize that he wanted godliness, that sobriety, that sense, uh, that uh, looking to God, uh, that uh, thoughtfulness, prudence, wisdom that needs to be seen in us. And our God, we pray that we might be examples in this day and generation. We are told that we are to be an example in all things. We lament the many times that we fail thee. We rec recognize the many times when our lives are anything but an example. But Lord, we thank thee that we have the Holy Ghost today to guide us into all truth and to help us to, he draws alongside us and he's there to lift us up and to bring us along and to show us the way. And we do thank thee, Lord, for the uh, help that we have from heaven itself to walk a life of godliness. Cleanse us afresh. Enable us to walk closer to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, precious Lord, to thy precious wounded side. And our Father, we'd ask thee that thou wouldst be with us in this day. Remember all our needs. We've been rehearsing them here tonight, and we recognize the deep needs that we have, whether individually or as a congregation, or we think even of the nation of a, as a whole. We think, Lord, of the RSE curriculum that's been imposed upon us now, and we pray against that. And we pray, Lord, for a rising up of parents and uh, professionals in this day. And we pray, Lord, that it might, the plans of uh, wicked men be, may be thwarted and the, the, the seeking to impose these awful things upon uh, the world, Lord, that they might be destroyed, and Lord, that there might be a rising up in this day against these things. We pray, gracious God, that thou wouldst have mercy, and that thou wouldst bless us abundantly, and help us to stand for thee in this day in which we live. Lord, we look to thee. We pray for thy help. Bless us now, we'd ask of thee. Remember the mission Undertake for everything that concerns it. We pray that everything will run smoothly and that thou wouldst bless in all of the uh, last-minute um, uh, uh, last arrangements. And we pray, gracious God, that thy hand of blessing might be upon us. Help us in the place of prayer now. Pour out that spirit of supplication upon us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.